State of Illinois, Department of Public Welfare William G. Stratton, Governor Otto L. Batag, M.D., Director The Banner The Banner of Victory is a Challenge to New Valor Illinois Braille and Sight-Saving School Jacksonville, Illinois Leo J. Flood, Superintendent February 1959 Number 4 Careers Conference On January 22, the third biennial Careers Conference was held at IBSSS. Because of bad weather, many of the speakers, parents, and guests of the school could not attend the conference. Therefore, we assembled in the auditorium for every session. After greetings from Mr. Flood, the keynote address was given by Dr. Edward C. Holmblad, Chairman of the Medical Committee of the President's Committee on Employment of the Physically Handicapped. The faculty host was Henry Meyer. For the first session, everyone assembled in the auditorium to hear Mr. Alan Ruppel, a social worker at the Jacksonville State Hospital, discuss social work as a career for the blind. The faculty host was John Dietrich. Student chairman was Billy Ray Brown. At 11 a.m., Dr. S. Bradley Burson, a nuclear physicist at the Argonne Laboratories, discussed science as a career. The faculty host was William Oldenettle, and the student chairman was Eugene Barton. At 1.15 p.m., Dr. Holmblad again delivered the starting address. Mrs. Frances Bosarti served as faculty host. Celine Bush, a graduate of our school, now a freshman at the College of St. Francis in Joliet, Illinois, related problems of a college student at the final session of the day. The faculty host was Mrs. Carol King. The student co-chairmen were Adrienne Steffen and Mitchell Hughes. After each session, the audience joined in asking questions on the topic discussed. Student Council Banquet Dr. Richard D. Nesmith, Dean of Men at McMurray College, was the feature speaker at the annual Student Council Banquet held on January 29 in our dining hall. A bicycle trip through Europe was the topic of Mr. Nesmith's talk. Mr. Nesmith has definite audience appeal and gave a very interesting talk. Michael Garrett served as Toastmaster. Leo J. Flood, Thomas Zwab, Eugene Barton, and Ann Kaufman were the principal guests of honor. Eugene is the present student council president and Anne is next year's president. Mystery Student Last month's mystery student was Judy Anderson. This month's mystery student stands between 5 foot 8 inches and 6 feet in height 
and weighs between 130 and 160 pounds. This student likes wrestling. A message from Mr. Zvob. Spring will soon be here, bringing with it a tendency for a let-up in schoolwork. It is important for you to realize that the grades you earn in school are a part of your permanent record. We receive frequent inquiries about our graduates. Let's make the next honor roll a long one. Several students need to raise their marks in just one or two subjects. Thomas Vob, Assistant Superintendent. Psychologist returns. Mr. Jack Curtis, a former employee of IBSSS, has come back as our psychologist after an absence of two and a half years. During that time, Mr. Curtis has taught at McMurray College, attended Washington University and the University of Nebraska, taking courses in doctorate credit at both universities. Aside from being a good psychologist. He is also a fine clarinetist. Since leaving IBSSS, he hasn't played many dances, but he has been participating in a few jam sessions. However, he also played a few dances while he was in Nebraska. Mr. Curtis says he's glad to be back, and he plans to study personalities and to do some research on the visually handicapped. From the psychologist's point of view, students and faculty wish to welcome Mr. Curtis back. Honor roll. Third six-week period of the first semester. Straight A. Billy Ray Brown, Ann Kaufman, Ronald Johnson, Verl Wessel. A and B. Linda Morrissey. Adrienne Stephan, Larry Kirkoff, Patricia Brown, Richard Sperry, Bill Bright. Student Council President Elect. Ann Kaufman shall be the assistant to the president and shall serve in this capacity in the absence of the president. She shall hold the office during a term of one semester. After which she shall become president. Miss Kaufman was elected by a majority of the student body on January fifteen to fulfill this responsibility. Coming events: March six, junior and senior classes meet counselors from Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. March twenty, Easter vacation begins. Movie schedule: February twenty-two, Moby Dick. March one, Written on the Wind. March eight, The Kettles in the Ozarks. The Banner, published monthly at IBSSS. Editor in Chief: Clark Henry. Assistant Editor: Virgie Smith. Feature Reporters. Bill Bright, Larry Kirkoff, Clodell Price, Adrienne Stephan, Dale Stoner. Sports section: Gerald Myers, Dave Olson. 
Grade School News, Roberta Logsdon, Judy Anderson. Faculty Advisor, John Dietrich. Braille Consultant, L.W. Rodenberg. Editorials. Abraham Lincoln. Last week, we celebrated the birthday of Abraham Lincoln, the People's President, the man known throughout the world as a statesman as well as a common man. He was a man who was willing to go out of his way to help other people. A mile was an inch when it came to helping a fellow citizen. Abe, or Honest Abe, was a poor boy who wanted an education and was willing to work for it. No matter how menial the work he was hired to do, Abe was on the job on time in any kind of weather. He spent as much spare time as he could reading and learning, and in time, largely through self-education, he knew a great deal about law. Lincoln was willing to endanger his life to protect what our nation stands for. Because of his great sense of justice and equality for all men, he gave his life in the hour of triumph of the Union he worked so hard to preserve. Using Lincoln as an inspiration and taking a good look at ourselves, we could each strive to make this country of ours a good place to live in, the kind of a nation that took Lincoln from a log cabin to the White House and gave him to the world as a symbol of justice and courage. Wrestling season draws to a close. On January 13, Feichens High School traveled to our court and walked away with the large end of a 51-5 score. Nick Weems of our team pinned his man to provide a bright spot in the otherwise dim picture. IBSSS journeyed to Vandalia on January 16, where we absorbed a 34-9 trouncing. Following this, Quincy High School took a 45-11 win over our grapplers. The annual NCASB tournament was held on February 6 and 7 in Minnesota. IBSSS scored 23 points to come in 6th in the running. Gene Barton, Nick Weems, and James Crockett gained third-place ratings. Tom Honnold took a fourth place. Lemuel Phipps turned in an outstanding performance, although not placing. Grade School News Birthday List Vernon Link, February 1, will be 14. Keith Sepp, February 5, will be 7. Ruth Ann Rodriguez, February 6, 12. Brenda Langworthy, February 6, 8. Judy Freeman, February 12, 12. John Schrote, February 16, 17. Thomas Watkin, February 17, 7. Mary Shelby, February 19, 8.
Mary Lou McCaherty, February 21, 7. Ronald Bond, February 27, 7. Tommy Honold, March 4, 14. Teresa Hubner, March 2, 9. Steve Warren, March 6, 8. Gail Workman, March 11, 9. Billy Smith, March 13, 10. Ricky Parrish, March 14, 9. Mary Heipel, March 14, 15. We are sorry that we have omitted the name Bobby Jean Massa from last month's issue of The Banner. Will You Come? A Valentine Story by Anne Kaufman Dejectedly, Doug Cameron set the telephone receiver back in its cradle and stood staring at the floor. So J.D., too, had refused him. He should have known better than to have counted on a date for the dance. Still, out of thirteen hundred girls, it seemed there should be one who would accept him. Doug Cameron was not extraordinarily handsome, nor had he much time in which to worry about the fact. He worked after school and on Saturdays, bought his own clothes, paid the rentals on his school books, and gave anything left from his meager earnings to his mother to help with household expenses. Because of his job, athletics and other after-school pleasures were forbidden to him giving him almost no chance to get to know the other students as his friends. He shared nothing with them, save an occasional geometry answer, or a few minutes during homeroom or study hall to review before a test. Standing there by the phone, Doug thought wistfully of the dance and of those who would be there. There would be the three who had refused him, Carol, Linda, and J.D., looking lovely in expensive clothes and smiling at him in obvious condescension. Kathy and Catherine, the twins, would be there with their dates, as well as Martha, Marianne, and Nancy. And perhaps, just perhaps, Joy would be there too. But it was a slim chance. Joy Landers, a timid young miss, had lived with her family next door to the Camerons since they had moved to town five years before. But the teenagers had never gotten acquainted. In fact, Doug seldom saw her except in church on Sunday morning, at which time she sat with her parents, keeping her eyes steadfastly on the preacher. She was good that way, Joy Landers. She was always in the midst of community work, spent her remaining time as a volunteer at the hospital, and was really wonderful. Ever since he could remember, Doug had followed her every act with intense interest. But never had he dared even speak to her unless she spoke first. How did one speak to one whose very words he worshipped? Doug! His mother's voice called him immediately back to the present. Yes, mother? Don't be too long on the phone, please. We can't afford it. 
The last of her words were said with the laugh which always accompanied any reference to their poverty. But Doug felt the words like a slap in the face. Why hadn't he realized this before? Of course, no one wanted to go out with a boy who couldn't even borrow a car. Oh, how could he have been so stupid? I'm not on it, mother, he assured her, coming into the kitchen. Well, she inquired with a mother's interest. I have decided not to go. He lied customarily, for from long experiences, he knew his mother was displeased with herself for the plight of her eldest son. As he knew she would, Doug's mother started to argue with him, but the telephone interrupted her. Automatically, he went to answer it. Hello, Doug? The voice was unfamiliar, uncertain, but not unfriendly. Yes, this is Doug, he replied. This is Joy Landers from next door. His heart in his throat, Doug said nothing, but let the girl continue. And I was wondering if you could help me with some French. I know I shouldn't do this to you, but I am completely lost, and my family knows less about it than I do, if that's possible. I'll be glad to help if I can, Doug responded, his heart pounding so loudly he was sure she could hear it. Give me a minute to get a pencil, will you please? Well, well, could you run over for a few minutes? I am messed up on the whole lesson, or just about. All right, Doug agreed. Less than five minutes later, he and Joy were seated at the table doing French together. Language was easy for Doug, and he enjoyed it. But even more, he enjoyed working with Joy, sitting beside her, hearing her gentle voice as she pronounced and mispronounced the words he knew so well. When they had finished, the girl closed the book in the gentle way in which she did everything, and sat a moment, smiling at him. "'Are you taking J.D. to the dance?' she asked suddenly to break the silence, which had fallen between them. "'No,' Doug answered, feeling again the hurt which the pretty thing's rejection had caused.' She didn't want to go with me. For the first time, he saw something akin to anger in the mild blue eyes, and her words, too, expressed keen irritation, as Joy said, I don't see why not. Doug tried to laugh, but it was impossible. Look at it from the girl's standpoint, he said quietly. I don't have a car nor anything really nice to wear. I'm not handsome, not by a long shot. I don't know much how to act around girls, having only boys in our family except for mother, and don't know anyone very well. He stopped a minute to consider. Besides that, I haven't got a personality worth anything. I almost never stop and talk to the kids, and a lot of other things. No, Doug, that isn't so. Her shyness was lost in an effort to make him see her side of the picture. You've got a wonderful personality, or you wouldn't have come over here tonight just to help me. 
and you wouldn't work after school, and, and, and a lot of other things, too. Clothes that look expensive and good looks are fine, but they don't make a person. It is his own wishes, feelings, and self-training. You should take someone, Doug. There are a lot of girls who appreciate you for what you are. He could not look at her as he responded. One, possibly, but I don't know for sure. Only one, though. She smiled at him reassuringly. There is one, I can promise you that, she said. He sat there unbelieving. Was she saying she would go with him? Could such a wonderful thing be possible? Joy, he said very softly. Yes, Doug? Would, would you go with me? She was silent for a few moments, her lips moving soundlessly in words which she thought he would not recognize. Thank you, she said finally, her words barely audible. I would love it. The End George Washington He early trained as a surveyor, but in 1752 he was appointed adjutant in the Virginia Militia, and for the next three years he took an active part in the wars against the French and Indians, serving as General Braddock's aide in the disastrous campaign against Fort Duquesne. After his marriage in 1759, he resigned from the militia and settled down as a gentleman farmer. He opposed the Stamp Act of 1765, and after 1770, he became increasingly prominent in organizing resistance against the British. A delegate to the Continental Congress, Washington was selected as Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army and took command at Cambridge, Massachusetts on July 3, 1775. Washington conducted the war on the policy of avoiding major engagements with the British and wearing them down by harassing tactics. His able generalship, along with the French alliance and the growing weariness within Britain, brought the war to a conclusion with the surrender of Cornwallis at Yorktown on October 19, 1781. He presided over the Constitutional Convention and yielded to the universal demand that he serve as first president. In office, he sought to unite the nation in the service of establishing the authority of new government at home and abroad. Following his unanimous re-election in 1792, his second term was dominated by the Federalists. His farewell address rebuked party spirit and warned against foreign entanglements. Tall, dignified, and impressive, Washington gave a public impression of austerity, though he was capable of gaiety in private. Judy Anderson